Nikki. Yes, Andy. Welcome to the first recording, first attempt of an amazing side project uh, that you and I are working on. What are we calling this? I have no idea. I'm. We're gonna figure out the name. We'll figure it we'll after figure this it out. is recorded and That's, edited yeah. and mixed and all that. Uh, mm. But a fun little side project. Uh, Tis the season of the Grammys up and coming. Yes. Uh, so what we're gonna do uh, over the course of the next however many months and or years is listen decades. <laughs> <laughs> listen to every single album that has won Grammy of the Year. From the late fifties to now, uh, not, <laughs> not <laughs> that not, sounded like a radio like announcer. From the fifties to now, from the 50s all the greatest to now, hits. <laughs> you, listen, there are some albums that have won this award that are absolutely not uh, the greatest hits. So, have you listened to some of them? I mean, obviously you've listened to. Couple, I've listened sure. to a few. Uh, yeah, you, the, some of the good ones, uh, and then there are some of the bad ones. This week, Nikki. Uh, you definitely, I let you pick, uh, you definitely picked a middle of the road one. Really? You didn't like it? I liked it. Uh, this was middle of the road. I thought it was middle of the road, uh, compared to some of the stuff it was nominated against. What was it nominated against? If you have the histories of these things, that'd be great. Well, the big thing that it won against was the Beatles Abbey Road. (laughs) <laughs> and if it doesn't tell you what album uh, that is right off the bat, if you don't know your Grammys trivia, this week we are going to be talking about Blood, Sweat, and Tears by Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Oh, we love a self-titled. A good self <laughs> This isn't their first album. It's their second, second album. Yeah. Except their next album is Blood, Sweat, and Tears 3. <laughs> the squeakquel. <laughs> so, this album... Yeah, it beat Abbey Road and At San Quentin by Johnny Cash. I have a question. What's up? So not, not to get too off track, but has there ever been... I'm, I'm sure you have the list of it like nearby, but do you, is, has there ever been a Grammy... Has there been an album given that's like a self-titled in like... Um, that isn't like the first of that self-titled? So like, has there ever been a Grammy like award given to like Blood, Sweat, and Tears three, but not like one and two? I you don't know what I mean? think so. Because uh, that would be funny as hell. I think this might actually be the only self-titled to win. I could that might be also a fallacy. If it is, I'll cut it out. Okay. Uh, but yeah, no, this was the best album of 1969 to come out in 1968. Uh, because it was released December 11th, 1968, so it got cut off for the 1968 album of the year, and then won the 1969 album of the year. Yes. Uh, so we're gonna, the structure of this show is gonna be, is gonna be track by track, we're gonna go down, uh, give our opinions and thoughts on each one, uh, and then from there, we're gonna just have a general discussion and talk about it our thoughts, feelings, emotions, and then we're going to rank it. And we have a pretty unique ranking system. So, Nikki, yeah. first track, uh, Variations on a Theme uh, by Eric Satie, first and second movements adapted from Trois Gymnopédie, French. Gymnopédie. Yeah, sure. It's a, it's from the, now listen, I, I have to say I was, I was very interested from that title because I'm, I'm a big fan of the, of the song, of the piece that it uh, interpolated, mm-hmm. um, which is Gymnopity number one. I do hope I'm saying that correctly. Otherwise, my friends in the music department will come for me. 
Um, but yeah, uh, Eric Satie was a, a was a um, uh, impressionist composer of the early 1900s. Um, one of my personal favorites in the classical music canon. Not to nerd out too much from this album, but um, but uh, yeah, I it it's um. The, the record like starts out with this um, interpolation of that piece that's it's very like very famous for being kind of like whimsical and and um, kind of melancholy in a sense and being kind of dreamy and hazy. Mm. Uh, but instead of doing it on a piano, which is what it's traditionally done on, they did it on a guitar and then also interpolates um, a bunch of flutes. And I was really interested in it. it to me, it felt kind of um, a very mystical way to start this record even though the rest of the record really doesn't sound at all like it uh but i thought i thought it was really it was it was it piqued my interest at the start i have to Mm. say it definitely didn't fit with the rest of the record it messed up my expectations uh it's see that's the thing is that's like i thought i was gonna get like a kind of you know run-of-the-mill hokey rock record from the 60s which is what i ended up getting to some degree Mm. um but when i heard that i was like oh is this going to be like some sort of like avant-garde sort of like it sounded like final fantasy music before final fantasy yeah (laughs) known franchise in 1968 uh no it definitely was a very pretty and peaceful piece and i was like oh okay so we we got a classical record this was before i looked up the genre uh but it definitely punched me in the gut uh, when we went to the next track, uh, Smiling Phases. Yes. Uh, not, did you have any more thoughts on variations on a theme? Well, I'll say is like, cause it's kind of split up into two movements. You have the first one, which is that kind of heavenly ethereal thing that I, that I really liked. But then the second movement, it, it really doesn't compare to the first, like they're very different. Um, and then like, I hear like the, the, uh, like a flanging effect that starts going on with these crazy horns. Um, it feels like almost like the eighties before the eighties, um, mm-hmm. in my opinion. Um, yeah, but then like, it just kind of fades out and then we get like slapped with that first track or yeah. well, the first real track. Yeah. The first, they're all real tracks. Uh, I'm sure redoing a French song from a hundred years before was probably years. <laughs> yeah. I, I looked it up. It was like 1880 that that was composed. Uh, oh, gotcha. Yeah. And I'm sure doing that was probably more work than the rockabilly kind of style we get from then on. Right. Uh, so going into smiling phases, uh, haha, funny pun. Yeah. I uh, thought it, I, when I wrote it down on my notes, I thought it was smiling faces. And I was like, Oh geez, I'm not even reading this. Right. Yeah. I really liked this song. Uh, yeah, I thought it was good. Yeah. I, it didn't blow my socks off, but this is definitely a great like intro track. Uh, it had some really nice transitions, although uh, I'm not a fan of how it ju- the instrument, the pure instrumental in the second half of the song. I think the vocals really kind of carried it for the first half. And it's also just like a song that it, it fits. It could fit into like a Guardians of the Galaxy movie almost. It fits into <laughs> that like general mindset of that. I got the sense that like. Yeah, like I I did like the second like that sort of instrumental instrumental breakdown, mm-hmm. but it felt very like again, I was surprised I didn't really know what I was getting into listening to this record. So like when I when I got into that like second half, it felt very like jazzy. I was like, "Oh, like this mm-hmm. is like me inside of a a jazz club and that like they were the drummer was just going off." Yeah, um, that the drumming on this entire record was really good. 
It was really good. I will say for this track in particular, I I, I, I noted that <laughs> it has that sort of like jazz kit mix mm-hmm. that goes on where it's like you have a really weak and, and quiet kick, but then like you have like the really hot, like upfront simples and then you just have that like punchy snare. Um, very much it had like that jazz aesthetic going on, which I, I mean, it, it kind of carries out throughout the whole record. Um, so I suppose you could say like this track kind of sets up the rest of the record in, in that regard. It does do a good job of that. But then it's immediately contrasted by the next song, Sometimes in Winter. How'd you feel about this one? I liked it. It's just the vocal style changing. And I tried to look it up. I couldn't, like, confirm if it were a different vocalist, but, like, I... It, it was, yes. It was? Okay. Yes. Yeah. Uh, it really... This whole record, it, like, went from high-energy song to, like, chill to high-energy to chill, which is jazz. Right. Uh, <laughs> so... I like this song. Uh, I believe this was the first one where like the flutes were as prominent as they were. Yeah. Yes. Uh, one a lot of sad horns too. Yeah. The horn. This is the horns sound really good on this record, uh, and the flutes do too. The issue I had with the overall mix of this record was stuff just got louder. <laughs> I mean, this is before like compression really took hold um of of the of the mainstream i really i kind of enjoyed that aspect of it personally but i found that like you said it did kind of just coming being a product of the compression and the loudness wars you know like i i really kind of uh was surprised when some in some moments of the record especially in the um in the 11 minute cut blues Mm -hmm. blues part two like the horns just kind of like really come out of nowhere and I found were like very poorly mixed. They were just way too upfront, like out of nowhere. Yeah. Before the high quality ribbon microphones of today. <laughs> well, when we get into that song, I have a great many comments. But this, I don't know, this song uh, really lives and dies by its flutes. So <laughs> I, it really reminded me, and I think the same could be said for a couple tracks on the record, that it had like this sort of musical theater-esque quality to it. Yeah. It's very, it's very, um, very theatrical. This is a really theatrical record, I think, in mm-hmm. s- in some regards. Um, but but, and I think that's why sometimes in winter stands out is because it isn't as like um, instrumentally intense as some of the other tracks, but it still carries that sort of like intensity of of like the vocal performance and and like the the passion of of. Um, of the of the songwriting and of the music, um, which I think can be said for for a mm. lot of the of this tracks on the record. Well, yeah, this song's uh, lyrics uh, is very like sad. It almost kind of has like a seasonal depression kind of vibe, uh, mm-hmm. which for a guy in the '60s, you know, who's supposed to be like all gruff and strong, I guess that doesn't really fit. The is that what they were in the '60s? I and you know Vietnam. What 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 happened in the '60s? Mm. Who who really knows? I wasn't there. I'd love to tell you sometime. Uh, but yeah, it it was a nice, it was a nice song. It was very calming. It was something that I would like put on for like background noise in the winter. I will say, yes, I, I do agree with that. I will say um, something that I noted in this song, but I think it really goes for pretty much every track on the record, but also every track in like during this era is that they were really ex- like in today's standards like they're very extreme with their use of panning um like I, I i not that like it isn't balancing most of the time and i think it is but i find that it's just really like 
the the panning is just so out there. Like I'm hearing like one guitar, like almost exclusively in one ear and then like a different guitar in another. And like the, the kit is also pretty spaced out mm-hmm. as well. The it's, piano it's, it's, is, yeah. the piano's all the way in the right ear. Right. Yeah. Uh, which was something that I did not enjoy. Yeah. I, I, I it was a little bit, um, like it was a little bit, uh, co- confusing, you know, especially again, like, since that's just not what we're familiar with, with, with modern recording. Well, yeah. Um, yeah. Uh, I think we should let whoever finds this know our knowledge of recording. You and I had the same general knowledge and education at SUNY Oswego. Uh, the with, greatest place on earth. Yes. The recording, uh, education up there. Uh, we learned in a digital studio. I have a small experience in an analog studio. And I got to play with the S6. Yeah, the Avid S6. The beautiful Avid S6, which I put Uh, on all of my job applications. Yes, it is. (laughs) It's bold and highlighted and underlined. Please hire us. Uh, Pro Tools, Logic, all the basic DAWs. Yes. But yeah, so we when going in for our modern education to an album that was made... 50 years well ago. before like what we had yes uh, the, although this is greatly past uh wax cylinders i believe <laughs> yes right. uh so continuing on down the track list uh more and more uh this song was very similar to smiling phases yes they're all i mean like i you can you, you can say that and like you're you are correct. They're all kind of similar. Like it all that's why it makes up yeah. like a cohesive record. Um, but I mean, like this is the sound of the time where it's only like a handful of instruments and they all kind of have the same essential timbres. Uh, and so it makes sense that like pretty much all of the music will sound generally the same. But but in terms of like compositional style and 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 form like yes it is it is similar to to smiling phases i didn't have many notes for this song just because of how similar it was at the two minute mark i got really like into it when it starts playing that big kind of breakdown right there it was i thought it was a nice change of pace compared to the rest of the song i think it was a little bit repetitive in my eyes um like towards it towards the end of it like i think the bass line was just a little bit too too loopy for me the bass lines on this whole record uh didn't blow my socks off at they're any very point. they're very minimal yeah. yeah i really think that especially compared to going back to abbey road uh it's <laughs> not unimpressive as far as bass lines go uh but obviously bass lines don't aren't the whole thing that make an album but right right but they're very a bit like i mean the thing about a bass slide is that like you're right there's not it doesn't make or break a record but like it certainly adds its own sort of counter melody to the entire experience, you know? Yeah. Uh, I don't know. It, I also think that the bass on this whole record was just very up out front. It was, wasn't it? Like, mm-hmm. as, um, more up front than, like, even modern popular music, yeah. I find. And or was, modern rock music. It was panned down the middle, which... Thank God. Was, yeah. Thank, <laughs> thank God. Because even going back, like, five, ten years before this isn't something that was, like, quote-unquote, industry standard. Right. I mean, this was still, like, 60, 68 was still, like, they're still figuring it out. I mean, we're still figuring it out, to be honest. But I think at this point, there's a, there is a kind of 
clear defined standard in specific genres like in popular music like the bass and the kick is always down the middle vocal always up front yes. you know um but they're still figuring it out in the 60s you know they're i mean they're they're figuring everything out <laughs> who's president in 68 lyndon it was post the guy after oh, Kennedy, God. lyndon b johnson <laughs> lbj yes uh yeah they're definitely figuring it out <laughs> god bless america uh, I didn't enjoy the ending to this track. I thought the horn, the horns just kind of stopped. The horn, the horn. I, I liked how it like the, there's sort of like this intense funky break, at, but the the vocalist like he just had like this weak screaming at the end. Like it didn't feel legitimate to me. And then like w- like that final that final moment, the the horn in the left ear just cuts off a little bit too late like from everything else and so i mean i think a lot of these things that we can nitpick on are stylistic choices you know but um for my personal stylistic choice i i would not i would have done like a hard cut for all of them you know mm-hmm. we can all just like go and then it kind of fades out together but well yeah. that's another thing i noticed on this record was not a lot of the songs uh faded out which was popular which was starting to come into the popular well except eye. the one time that it did which pissed yeah. me the fuck off but and we'll I, come back to that yes yeah, so we will get back to that <laughs> uh so moving on to the next song and simultaneously my favorite and least favorite on the record really i also noted this as my least favorite uh i love it because of how corny it is and hate it because <laughs> of how corny it is. i and, think yeah go ahead and when i die uh, for my notes, uh, it, all, I, I'm a cowboy, two-step cowboy, yeehaw. It really, no, it felt like a Wild West dance music. Yeah. It really did. <laughs> and then, like, halfway through, it, like, has these erratic tempo changes, which yes. just were very upsetting. And it's just, this was just a cowboy song. If, like, Willie Nelson had, like, a feature on this track, I wouldn't have been surprised. <laughs> it felt like... It felt like like kind of tongue in cheek in a way. Like I don't know if that's what they're going for, but like there were several points where like the music, like I think at the end of like the chorus or, or something, like the music just kind of stops and it feels like the song is over. But then like it just waits a little bit longer and then it comes back to like to to like the first uh, section. Um, and I, I like I thought it, I thought it was funny, but at the same time I'm like it I'm losing the groove of the track, you know. Uh, but I did find I, the the tempo changes were were neat at times, although, like you said, also could be a little bit upsetting, especially when it just it, it was chopping up with the with these frequent stops and starts. The stops. I will say, I will say I was happy to hear the harmonica and the, the long forgotten percussive instrument, the woodblock. Oh, my it's God. So- <laughs> yes, this record has so many different instruments on it, and it makes me so happy. You know, I I, um, I only really read the Wikipedia page for this, but um, a fun fact about this record, if I can, if I'm allowed to cite Wikipedia, yes. is that um, this is one of the first like major releases, like music releases, to use a 16 track uh, recording, r- r- uh, like rec- uh, 16 track record, mm. um, as opposed to eight or 12 tracks. They had they had 16 whole tracks. Uh, so they, so they, listen, they're going to use that like last track for that wood block. So help me God. Yeah. In the modern <laughs> age of where pro tools can handle 60 something tracks. Well, more than 60. Well, yeah, but computer Ram. The, the, I, yeah. Uh, 
Virtually in- infinite. Virtually infinite if you can s- daisy chain a bunch of RAM sticks together. <laughs> uh, but yeah, this track uh, wasn't amazing. I will no. never listen to this song again, hopefully. Hopefully. comes It'll haunt you in your sleep. Listen, we're, the middle part of this album really got to me. Did it now? Tell I, me. Tell me. Uh, well, the next song, "God Bless the Child." Yeah. Uh, I got so bored during this song. Did you? Yes. My one of my notes was, "Oh God, this song is six minutes long." Was it? Oh my God, it really was six minutes long. Wasn't yes. It? Uh, I don't know. I just didn't enjoy this song. That. <laughs> It was a very kind of like sad white man sings about religion. <laughs> um, I, I liked the electric organ, at least in the beginning. Yeah, That's, I will say that uh, it gave very churchy vibes. Yeah, I think there's there is a general sense of. I guess you could say like plagalness to, mm. to all this. Uh, there's a, there is a sort of. Um, like a, a religious subtext. Not that like it, it it is like a like a contemporary Christian track. Um, but like it, I think the record kind of has a sort of I don't know, a sort of spiritual feel to it. This I don't know. This track just again, it being in between the weird cowboy song and the drunken clown song, uh <laughs> it definitely take took me out of it and then made me recognize it as being like a wild change in the record again. Also, there was a weird rumbling around like the two minute mark, which I don't know what that was. Oh, just another one of those studio Easter eggs that they love to put in yes. Grammy Award winning, winning albums. Yes, Grammy Award winning albums. Uh, so the next <laughs> song uh, is really just everything you shouldn't do. To win I, was a a little, uh, I was a little confused about this track, Spinning Wheel. I was, it was about a carousel, wasn't it? Y- yes. That's uh, what I got from it. Well, you see, my favorite part of this song was at the very end when they said, that wasn't too good. <laughs> they did say that. Uh, and uh, we got yelled at all the time in our recording classes, Nikki, for leaving stuff like that in our recordings. Yeah. Uh, so I never want to ever hear that again because this album has won more Grammys than I have. So. <laughs> What I will say is that it it does have the groove, and I think most of these tracks have the groove, which is which is what we've been taught is is much more essential than than keeping up tempo. Keeping it does have groove. Yes, it has groove, and it's very easy to like move to. Yes, I I I found myself like tapping my pen to this the the whole time. I feel like I could have joined in at any time. And just kind of like started playing along with these guys because I yeah for, it it sounds like they're having a lot of fun like yes it, that I that's what I get from the entire record is that they really seem like it really just seems like the sixty eight version of like just straight vibing you yeah know? like it, yeah well again when we go back into the twelve minute blues part two uh that whole song has big jam vibes big vibe energy yes uh <laughs> but this I don't know this uh. Spinning Wheel had just a lot of weird choices that I... The, 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 you, did you notice, like, the tremolo with the with the vocal? Yeah. Like, towards the end? Or I think that was a tremolo. It sounded like a mix of a tremolo and a bit crusher. He... Uh, 
it didn't, I don't think it really worked out. I mean, you know, they're trying new things, which is neat, you know, but yeah, I, I didn't think that it, it, it didn't work out for me. It, it's definitely a choice. <laughs> I don't know how to describe like the instruments in this song. Cause like, and my head has just replaced it with like dot 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 because that's all the second like or the last third of this song is is carnival music. It, yeah, a drunken clown has broken into the studio and they just went with it. And there's these there's these SpongeBob like flutes that pull yeah. up towards the end. It's like, not the, the same. Those, those are the, the worst the flutes the on the whole record. Yeah, they're the worst flutes on this record. Where it really feels they feel like um I don't even I don't even know if they're flutes. They sound like recorders. <laughs> You know, like recorders for like when I was in fourth grade, you know, learning to record it. it sounds like that. Yeah, it's they got recorders and they let their kids on the record. Do you want to win? A, the ki- I can't believe the kids won a Grammy. Do you want to win a Grammy, son? <laughs> We're winning a Grammy today. <laughs> uh, Lordy. So next track. Uh, this was my second least favorite on the record. You've really? made me so it's a good song. I liked this track. I have to disagree with you, Andy. You see, my problem with it is that this very so much so feels like the producer was like, okay, now we just need a love song. It's going to be the single. But I, I liked how it, it felt like, it, yes, it was, it was kind of a, a cheesy love song, but it, to me it felt um, very impassioned. Like, I thought, like, the performer was very... He was really going in for it. Like, he really was professing his love to this person. At least that's what I got. It, it, like, it had that groove there. Um, mm-hmm. it, um, and also, I, I heard some some sick slap delay, which is always a fan Oof. from me. Uh, love that slap. But, like, I don't know. I, I thought it was really good. I, what, why did, was it just because it, it felt like that kind of, like, yeah, single just, love song? Uh, it just felt very, like, corporate. Like, this will sell singles kind yeah. of song or be played on the juke whatever the, the juke. Ki- yeah the kids did in the 60s were they doing the juke in, in 68 i yeah yes 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 uh i don't Is know that's just the sock hop of the 50s we should this, I, this, I didn't really learn a lot in history class i mean i don't think the 60s they were covering like social media there was a lot more going on during that time agree maybe but who knows uh this song was definitely like the most structured Whoever wrote this went in and like actually was like, okay, play these notes. It's like the least jazziest, if you will. Play this, yeah. It it did feel a more, uh, it felt felt less jazzy, more more structured. I mm. I do believe some of these songs, and and you you better fact check me on this, but um, some of these songs I I don't think are written from the band or at least in part. Um, I think some of them are covers. Because I'm I'm playing it from my Apple Music, and then I I was reading the lyrics, and then at the end of the of the song, like it'll say like who it was written by, and there's different artists, different um people for for each track. So I don't know if like maybe people wrote tracks for them, um, for for each record, or if they did any covers. Like for for God Bless the Child, um, uh, Apple Music says that there's two writers, one of which is Billie Holiday. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I don't know if this is like an original Bill, like originally Billie Holiday, or if like um, maybe Billie Holiday wrote. I don't know if she wrote tracks for people, um, but yeah, just uh, something something to chew over. But I do, but, but I think that that track number eight, you made me so very happy, is is probably an original cut of theirs. Yes, I mean 
As far as people writing songs for people who win Grammys, uh, we're going to listen to Taylor Swift at some point. So Damn it. Did she win a Grammy? Which She's she won two Grammys. Yeah, she did, didn't she? For yes, what? And uh, fuck, I don't know anything about her track lists or her album discography. Uh, maybe we'll get someone who does on as a guest for those ones. That'd be great. I'm I know sure, some Swifties. That I'm sure they'd love to chat. I know at least one Swiftie. Nice. I also know at least one. She also might be winning a third this year for Evermore or Folklore. One of the two. Do you, oh, oh, I think she was nominated for Folklore. Yeah, because okay. Folklore is the first one. And Did you do you think she'll win? Uh, Should we talk about the modern Grammys? Yeah, we, we can do that. <laughs> after. We still got two more tracks. Let's yeah, let's finish this out. All right. Blues part two. God. Damn uh, it. First, first off, uh, where was part one? I'm sure it was on their previous record. Maybe. Uh, I hope so. But yeah, do, this... should, do we have to do research for the for these for these podcasts? Are we Malcolm Gladwell of music? Uh, no, I did minimal research. I opened also their Wikipedia page. I googled a few things, uh, and we are here now. Yeah, maybe um, for the next episode, I will spend more homework time. Maybe, maybe, yeah. Maybe, let's. <laughs> it could be a whole a whole saga. Like we're a like a goddamn NPR. Little expose. Yeah, by the end of this will be a regular Fantano. Thank you. That, uh, isn't that isn't that the dream? <laughs> yeah, a bunch of annoying internet commenters stealing my opinions. That's what I want. Absolutely. <laughs> but yes, uh, blues part two. The twelve minute track. Uh, I this was the jam session. This was. What? They walked into the studio, said, OK, guys, pick up your instruments. What I'll say is that, like, I think it starts off like really interesting. Like I, the first like two, three minutes or however long that it's just the organ player popping off. Like, yeah. I think it's really cool. I don't understand why, like halfway through his little like um, solo that it just it. I, I swear to God, they pulled the fader down for no reason. Yes. The and faders, then they brought it back up. Yeah, they went insane with faders on this song. And I don't they know really why. Did. I don't know yeah. if they were trying to cover up like clipping or something. But do you think it was live like live tracking? I or? of all the songs on this. I would say this one is probably. Yeah, because they live. probably. Yeah, they just did this in all one gaff. Yeah. Um. Uh, but I liked it, but then it, it kind of, it goes back up, and then it just, out of nowhere, I think it lacked, I, I, I feel like it kind of lacked, like, the, the transition to when it started becoming rhythmic, mm-hmm. um, and then, like, suddenly these horns come in, like, really, yeah. like, out of nowhere, in my opinion, poorly mixed, like, not at all. This was definitely a drop in quality uh, for the mixing on the album. Yeah. Which, take it or leave it. Uh, you can excuse it if you want, but for a 12-minute excuse For a 12-minute song, you can definitely not excuse the mix. Yeah. Right? I mean, I hate songs that are, like, over six minutes. You, you better have something to say if you're going to make it that long. Uh, yeah. And this, this man only says something at the end. Yeah, the, <laughs> like, nine or ten minutes in, he starts talking about women. I've had women in my life. Yeah, he really, man, I, I got a, <laughs> really sounds like Mitt Romney with his binders full of women. <laughs> I mean, yeah, it's just like, he had, you go from like these very sweet love song to like women. 
women. And I got a whole book of them. He says something like, I, I know him so well. Like, I, I just know so many women. <laughs> I've had, I've had I'm women very who familiar don't even with try. the women. Don't, women who I've ruined. It's like, okay, dude, just maybe you should date less. I don't know. Settle down. <laughs> HPV is about thirsty. to be a thing. Lamau. Keep, keep, pop off. Uh, but yeah, this was, I don't know. There was nothing really to talk about this on this track because it was just kept changing and changing and changing. I like that it kept changing. I, um, the baseline towards the end, I thought was really neat. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it was a little simple again, but I, I thought it, it was, it was, it was, I don't know. It kind of hooked me in. I, I just, the horns here, I think are the worst mixed on the whole record. Yes. Um, there, I think in in my opinion, the horns for the most part on, on the majority of these tracks are very thin and not, and, and way too bright and upfront in the mix. Mm -hmm. Um, I found that it wasn't like, it just, it really overwhelmed me and the rest of, uh, of the instruments. Well, yeah, like, especially on a few of the earlier tracks, uh, the vocals kind of like got lost behind the horns. Yeah. Yeah. And I mean, that might've been again, like a stylistic choice. And with our, with our ears from the future, we know that we like having the vocals up front. So, but, but I don't know. It it seemed like it was, it, it really took too, too much control. Yeah. I mean, it doesn't, hold up incredibly well because of that it's not a bad record but like it just hasn't been future proofed uh one thing i didn't like was the end of this track oh my god i was so mad i was watching here's the thing is the like coming from like a composer's perspective Mm -hmm. or producer's perspective i guess you could say like i i felt the baseline was so cool because it it kept like escalating like i felt like it it, it kept rising and then coming back down and then rising again and everything kept getting louder and i was waiting for it to just like give that one final note like at the end of whiplash where it's just like you know and it's just done but instead they just they just do a fade out like a coward uh, and and then just do a reprise a reprise of the first track and I think it's o- like the the exact same. Yeah, it, you track. could convince me it was the exact same recording. I'm, I'm almost certain, uh, or it's just a really good musician. Mm-hmm. Um, either way, like I was I was I was furious. I was because I, I felt like that. Here's the thing: is that like um, what we are taught, what what I'm taught when when it comes to music composition, at least in the, in in an academic sense, mm-hmm. is that there's tension and release. All right, you have the development and you're building and building, and it's all for that final, just like it there, you know, like whether it, um in whether in a tonal sense where like you reach like the dominant or the home chord, you know, the tonic, um, or like e- or even something more abstract where you just you find that sense of of like rest you know, of finality, of, of freedom. And it, they just, they, 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 str- they stole that from me. Yes. They just, they just decided to fade out. And it's probably because in that jam session, it, that was the most interesting part. If that was a jam session, regardless, mm-hmm. it was the most interesting part of the song. And instead of like, just giving it the strong finish it deserved, it just, it just, it just, it just petered out. It petered out so and it went to like this quiet strings. Yeah. And again, it like it's it's cool how it kind of bookends the like the, the like this Eric Satie variation um, is is what bookends the the the, the record. But again, it it doesn't feel like it, it is deserved or that it it um 
like they compare like these these opening and closing tracks that they are at all remotely similar other than i would say like the flutes that that are present on the record like not like these 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 um movements are not like the same like similar to the, the rest of this record at all it definitely is a b-side <laughs> yeah like it, it it's something that belongs where it is Honestly, it probably could have been cut, but then they would only have like a 20 minute record. So or 30 minute yeah. record. But well, you know, that's the thing with these older records. Um, and I, you know, I'm not a historian or anything, but like it, until rather recently, um, relatively speaking in, in music, in like um, recording history, uh, albums were not really meant as sort of cohesive units. Yeah. They were meant more as just like a collection of singles or like a compilation. Um, I think a lot about like Michael Jackson's Thriller, which is going, we'll, we'll have to cover eventually because that, I believe, won Grammy of the it Year. It did. Yeah. Um, but uh, um, like that, like though that's a great record, but like there, there's no like real theme there. There's no concept that I know of other than like here's nine like just kick ass songs, and almost all of them were singles, you know. And and that's and like um, this Blood Sweat and Tears record came well before Thriller, and so like it, it, I don't know how many of these were singles, but it feels like a lot of these were just like single material put together. Mm-hmm. And then you're right that like this Blues Part Two sounds sort of like a deeper cut of a B side that. Um, very clearly could not make it onto the radio. Yeah. And then it just kind of peters out, goes to the reprise of variation on theme of the first movement. And then that's it. That's the record. And then some guy literally just walks out of the room. I hate it. I really listen. That's how you, that's how you knew the record was done. That's how, that's how you know that every record is, the record is not over unless there's just like, white noise at the end and a guy just lifting his hands from a piano and walking away and slamming a door shut yeah (laughs) i i'm i'm guessing you know i haven't listened to a lot of records from the 60s as you could imagine Mm -hmm. um but uh i i'm guessing that like that sort of like uh what you call like kind of like raw sort of authentic thing that um that has now kind of become very gimmicky uh was probably new at the time or relatively like rare. Um, but I, but yeah, I, but looking at it now, it just seems so tacky. It yeah. seems so tacky to just like lift your hands up and walk away, slam es- the door. Especially with like the rise of ad libs being so popular in modern music. Yeah. It just kind of comes off as, eh, well, that was a good recording session, guys. <laughs> and no, who wants to listen to that? Yeah. Some guy being just like, wiping his hands of it like it's it's the engineer's <laughs> job now yeah a hard day's work let's go home <laughs> Nikki, imagine you were the engineer for this and some guy he finishes his piece he just gets up walks out doesn't even thank you <laughs> that's what happened here <laughs> exactly he gave him the bird through the glass the whole time he's like <laughs> yeah i got my paycheck yeah uh, but yeah that's the record uh, if you're listening on Spotify, uh, there are two live pieces from Cafe. I didn't even I didn't listen to them. I didn't, I didn't bother because one of them was 20 minutes. Yeah, that's why I just really, yeah. I, you know, I, I don't need, that's not for me. It wasn't that's on the, the original That's for the boomer list. that they grew up with, with. Yeah, I mean, listen, if you grew up with uh, blood, sweat, and tears, good for you. But. I have to say, you know, we haven't really, we haven't talked about the, um, 
the album cover art. I think that that's a quintessential part of the, the listening experience, at least in my opinion, sure. when it comes to absorbing music. I do like the cover. I think it's really neat um, in how it feels kind of hazy. Uh, I think it does have a sort of like, I, I don't know, I think it sets the aesthetic for the record. However, I am very upset that they're not using the Oxford comma for, for the sweat and tears. I also noticed that. Uh, I think it's a little disgusting. I think and it, it's I pro- don't like it. It's a product of the time, Nikki. I, you know what? That's why this, that's why it's, the, the time is not good. 68, not good. Bad year. <laughs> Delete the year. I mean, that year didn't have coronavirus, so hashtag take me back. <laughs> Damn it. Uh, but yeah, so overall thoughts on the record. What do you think? I, you know, I really did enjoy it. Upon my, I, I listened to it twice. I Upon did my second listen, I was a little, it, it, it was more of background music for me. And if it, it, it was pleasant background music, but nothing really stuck out to me except for um, the, 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 the three tracks that stuck out the most to me were, was Sometime in Winter, um, which I think is probably my favorite track, just because it's just different. Mm-hmm. It, does, it, it is probably the, the best deep cut here. Um, and When I Die, which I, is my least favorite track because it sounds like, like, a, like a Western cowboy nightmare. Um, and then uh, I Love You More, or sorry, I, I, You've Made Me So Very Happy. Um, I also really love that one. Yes. Uh, even though that you did not, but I liked it. Um, I do think it's an overall great record. Um, the, the, the stereo mixing, they, ugh, the 60s in their stereo, they just love just spreading everything. They love having just two separate songs yes. well, Nikki, in, in each year. There are two records that were made in the 50s that we'll listen to eventually. Uh, yes. And I'm sure those are going to be just the best. I'm, j- I'm so very excited. Um, I, I was really enjoying it for the most part. Like, mm. it, it's not my type of music, um, but I was enjoying it for the most part, just but right until the end. It just, I think that in terms of a musical experience, and it is, I think, the, I think they, they had some level of, like, considering this as a complete album because that last track transitioned into the closing track. Yeah. Um, variations on a theme. Um, I, like, they... I think it ru- I think it it, 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 it it takes away the um, the climax of the record. I really do. I and that really is the most disappointing part for, for me, is that like it really could have been like it, it could have done what like every every other track, most other tracks did, which is like kind of have that groove and then also just kind of keep building and, and just have fun with it. Um, and that all of that was, was leading up to something and it could have just like one final note where it's all screaming or like the drummer's just going crazy, but they just, but they just faded out and I, that, that's offensive to me. (laughs) It really is. Yeah. Especially compared to like (laughs) the limited knowledge of jazz I acquired from college. Like limited, you were in jazz ensemble. I was in jazz ensemble and we listened to a lot of Miles Davis in that. And so my sphere of jazz isn't exactly very big but like just compared to like miles davis uh it it doesn't finish as well and that's upsetting uh this record my favorite track uh was probably either sometimes in winter or smiling phases uh smiling phases was also very good i did i did like that yeah uh and when i die uh i would play that as like a joke at like a cowboy themed party uh Granted, 
I don't go to a lot of cowboy themed parties, so, so I'm never going to play this track again. Uh, <laughs> I don't know. And when I die and spinning wheel are just not good tracks to me and it's unfortunate, yeah. but oh, well, oh, well, I would recommend this to some of my friends who are in the sort who are fans of like this type of music. Yeah. I mean, obviously, if they, if they are a fan of this type of music, they probably know about it. Um, but I think if you're a fan of, of like, jazz uh, rock or funk rock even, mm-hmm. you know, um, you know, I would give it, I would, I would recommend it to people. But I think that people who are looking for kind of the cream of the crop when it comes to the 60s and 70s, I, I don't think this is it. Yeah, I definitely am not going to give this album my Grammy uh, of 1969. You don't think so? Uh, I'm a big Beatles fan, Nikki. So the fact that this is the winner is upsetting. <laughs> That's fair. I, you know, like come together kind of in itself should have, should have taken the whole record. Yes. Uh, <laughs> but I definitely enjoyed this record. I will probably recommend it to someone at some point in my life, just to seem like a music snob. Mm hmm keep it in my back pocket. Uh, there are a few tracks that I definitely do want to listen to again because I really enjoyed uh, the first half of this record. But overall, I'm not going to like sit down and pop this on ever again. I feel like now, if 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 the first track for me, or I, sh- I guess you could really say the 10th track because I didn't really like the second half of the first track, but if you just got that 10th track and just turned that, you worked off of that and turned that into a record, that would be something I really, really vibe with. Um, yes. Because that, that was just so, like, heavenly and ethereal. Um, like, it, it, it was just so majestic. Um, and I really thought that, like, the rest of the record was going to be like that, and the fact that it wasn't is disappointing, although the tracks were good. Um, I really would love to hear... Like, it, it sounded like, honestly, it sounded like New Age music before New Age was a thing. Yeah, I mean... You know? I think that proto Enya. I think that I would like to see more songs like that, like taking older compositions and bringing them to like modern instruments and modern styles. For sure. It's definitely an interesting concept. And obviously it has been done a few more times, but it hasn't been popularized. And if anything, I think that's what I'm going to take away most from this record is looking out that kind of style and searching for that. Uh, So ratings time. Uh, how we're going to rate every single record we listen to. There have been 63 Grammys for album of the year, and we're going to do it on a sliding scale of one to 63. Uh, we well, are there's not... going to be 63 Grammys because there's 63 yes. is going to be this year. This you realize that if, if this, if this godforsaken podcast were to be longer than a year, then we would have to add a, a, a 64 and then rearrange some, like some, if not all of our, of our rankings. Well, is yeah. that how we're, are we doing it per like, we're giving each a spot? No, 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 no. no, 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 okay. no, This is just, listen, uh, both Thriller and Sergeant Peppers can have 52 or whatever. <laughs> we're, we're not, we're not doing this. We're just going to say one to 63, one being it's awful. I'd never want to listen to this again. Uh, 63. You're putting, you're putting number, you're putting the, the, the top number one as the worst. One is the worst. 63 is the best. Oh, okay, we're doing okay. I I got you. All right, all right. That kind of ranking. So, Nikki, uh, you picked this record. Uh, you can go first. Out of sixty three, 
I kind of, I'm dividing into thirds now. That's 11, what is it? Is that 11, 12? What's 63 divided by 3? 63 divided by 3 is 21. Damn it. So every 21 try, I'd get, I'll give it, um, I'll give it like a, like a 47. Yeah, I'm going to write 47. All right. I'm going to give this one a solid middle of the road, 41. It's not, 41? In, the, it's not in the top third, but it's not bad. <laughs> I'll take it. Um, do we combine our score? What would that make it? Uh, you're better at math than me. That's barely true. Um, actually, that's not true. You're you graduated with a degree in comp sci. All right. Uh, so <laughs> forty nine plus forty one. That's I said forty seven. Forty seven plus forty one. That's eighty, eighty, eighty eight. Yeah, eighty eight. Oh, we're adding it. I was. I thought we were gonna get an average oh, score. Oh, sure. We'll say is average is like forty four. Yeah, it is forty four. But yeah, forty four. Uh, so yeah. Uh, any closing remarks? Um, I had a gr- well. This was a great time. I had a jo- I, I really enjoyed this. Um, uh, I don't know if any of this was interesting, but I had a great time talking to um, Andy. By like the looks of your hairstyle, you kind of look like an American James Blake. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Thank and so I'm, you. I'm really happy to be talking with American James Blake right now. Great. I'm really glad to be here i'm glad we are starting a project even though we have like three projects that we haven't committed any time to so far going on well, don't worry we'll listen this will have to end at some point because there's yes. only 63 grammys it was 64 by the time we finish <laughs> uh, if we if, what happens when when we get all of the grammys do we do we do we just stop the podcast or do we do we just um like s- just do one every year uh that is a problem for future us uh, so when are we going to talk about all of the grammys the, the all of the nominations that's that'll that'll quadruple the pool the, no we're not doing that <laughs> we're not we're not doing that we'll we'll think of a different gimmick we'll switch to the oscars uh <laughs> all right uh thank you for listening person who probably knows me and nikki personally and if you don't know me and nikki personally uh you know uh, hey how's it going are we are we are we plugging anything? Is uh, that what we do at the end of these? I have nothing to plug. You have music. I do have music. Um, you can follow my Instagram at Nikki Kulai. That's really cool. Can I score the music for this podcast? If you want to make intro and outro music, go right ahead. I will do. I will do that. Do you want? Do you want background music like no, for the podcast? God, no. Just just us talking for now. Well, we're, we're working out the kinks. I, have, out. I haven't decided if we'll post this as number one or point one. Uh, episode zero. Episode zero. Our we picked a great episode to sell people on. You ever hear of Blood, Sweat, and Tears by Blood, Sweat, and Tears? <laughs> oh yeah, I just made a podcast where I talk about it for fifty-two minutes with some guy. Listen, if there's one thing that the the the, the decade of twenty twenty needs more, it is men and their podcasts. Yes. Listen, <laughs> listen. It's not two white men. That's all that matters. It's one I, white it's man. Like, Three-fourths white men in this one. (laughs) (laughs) All right. That's all. Uh, Thank you, everyone, for listening. Uh... End call.